this is going to be great. Welcome to the White House Pod with David A.R. White. Hey guys, how are you today? Um, I am excited to be back. We took a little bit of a break, and uh, um, every you know every White House Pod episode—it's even hard to say—is super fun. So um, uh, I'm super excited to be back. Super excited to be with you guys today. We have an unbelievable guest. Uh, this guy has—he uh, is a master with this uh, this pen. Um, not really. I guess he doesn't really write with a pen anymore. But uh, this guy has written more of our movies than anybody. Uh, but also, um, he was a stand-up comedian for many years. He was a headliner. He was hanging out with Eddie Murphy. He even wrote stuff for Eddie Murphy's Ross. Uh, all kinds of crazy, crazy shenanigans. He had his own talk show. Um, and I think he's vying for this job here today. Uh <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, normally podcasts, they talk about all kinds of stuff before they let the guest on. I don't know if you guys have been able to see that or not, but I mean, a lot of chit chats going on about the weather, about traffic. We got a strike outside. Um, you know, uh, anyway, how is the weather in LA? Uh, Roger? Weather in LA is beautiful as always today. <laughs> Weather is is uh is been pretty good actually. It's beautiful. As much as like Los Angeles gets, you know, uh, there's all the reasons to move out of Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, you're reminded during the summer yeah. why we're still I've here. I've noticed wherever David A. R. White shows up, the sun just shines a little brighter. Oh man. Yeah. I mean this is this is Roger Neal right here. I love Roger. Roger, thank you for being part of us. <laughs> Um, all right, okay. so without further ado, we're going to get to this guy. His name is Tommy Blaze. Tommy Blaze, welcome, welcome, and uh, thank you for joining me here and Roger and Dylan and Gabe and everybody else that's that's here. Uh, all right, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Would you, uh, would you like to redo your uh, opening? I'm sorry. The sun shines a little brighter wherever david white is how much did you what do you owe that guy i owe him a lot there's no doubt about it right. i'm gonna take notes during this procedure seriously if you could write that how all i am if, if you could write that one down uh i uh i like that entrance yeah please um all right so tommy blaze tommy blaze um you might know him from the white tracks it was tommy blaze and i am a writer uh, on the white track, one of my favorite, um, you know, Tommy Blaze appearances of all time. Uh, all right, Tommy. So, th so let's let's just back this up. Uh, you know, I was actually going to bring in my script and have a prop here and say, you know what, this script, everybody, is from the new uh, installment of The God's Not Dead, and I have the writer here today. But instead, I just left it in the car, and yeah. uh, and I didn't bring it. But once again, I'm there to save you. Yep. True. I can move this around. Oh, nothing's impossible. That's right. You wrote that. <laughs> yes. And I, I produced this and wrote this. And I believe this is your last uh, major motion picture, I believe. Um, I I, uh, I think it probably was. I can't remember. I don't, I don't think we did. I think that was it. And, and ironically, I forgot to introduce you also as a producer because you produced that movie. I did, I, uh, yeah, that one for you, uh, and then a little Christmas movie called Banking on Christmas, yep. available on Purefix.com and Amazon.com. <laughs> um, yes, uh, but uh, this was a lot of fun. 
this movie. Yeah, yeah. nothing's and impossible. I'm really looking forward to teaming up with you again because in God's Not Dead 5, I get to act against you like I did in God's Not Dead 1 and 2. And me again. And me again. And yeah. me again. But I get to reprise the role of Tom Blanchard in God's Not Dead 1 and 2. Tommy, wherever he goes now, um, instead of being known for, you know, his his vast career, uh, instead he is known for uh, being the rental car agent and the what at night or waiter and uh, actor at night. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that how you say that? I think I was a uh, I was moonlighting. I'm, I'm an actor. Well, the character believes he's an actor. Yeah. He moonlights <laughs> in various various jobs. In God's Not Dead 1, he was, you're right, an Enterprise rental car agent. In 2, he was a waiter. And then he kind of went away in 3 and 4, and he's resurfacing yeah. in 5. He didn't, he didn't come back because the guy was busy. He was actually writing a script. Yes. <laughs> many yeah. people don't know, okay, so many people don't know, Tommy, uh, that you also were a writer on the God's Not Dead movies, and you kind of came into it uh, during Light and Darkness, I think. Um and how yeah. did how did you even how did you even enter into this franchise? Like, where did you come? Well, I mean, obviously you were there as an actor from the beginning, but well, what and that wasn't that was even kind of a, an accident. What had happened was my daughter Delaney was, I think, thirteen or fourteen years old, and you guys cast her as a cheerleader in, in the God first Night. one. Yeah, and had a very cute scene with you. Mm -hmm. And because she was young, I was basically chaperoning her. So I don't remember where that movie was shot, but I was basically, I brought her to set and this and that. Louisiana, actually. Yeah. The writers and your director at the time said, hey, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm chaperoning my daughter, Delaney. She's in a scene with David. And they said, well, while you're here, let's, let's do something. And we kind of just ad-libbed this craziness. They said, do you want to do this rental car thing? And I was just really just trying my best to make you laugh if you'll remember uh, on camera I hold just, on a second so you're telling me in the gods of dead one script by chuck and carrie chuck cons chuck consman and carrie solomon um yeah. there was no rental car agent it was but it wasn't he didn't really have lines he was just delivering the car and and the it wasn't a joke it wasn't a running joke though right in, no, in the, right. oh, interesting. I did. Yeah. I, you know what? I actually forgot. I forgot about that. Well, I kept trying to make you laugh because, and they were getting annoyed. Oh my! That's what started this whole Tommy Blaze needs to be escorted off the set thing that <laughs> kind of followed us throughout the rest of their career because I kept trying to make you laugh. For instance, um, I forgot my line. Where I say I need you to sign for the car, I forgot it, and right. you said instead because you were watching out for me. You said, "Do you want, do you want me to sign for the car?" And I said, "Why, yes, I'm giving you a thirty thousand dollar automobile. Of course, I want you to sign for it." And I handed you this clipboard, and I kept saying, "Sign here, and here, and here, and here. <laughs> Initial here, here, and here, here. Flip here, here. Just kept." going trying to make you laugh and of course you know everybody else is dying off camera I and mean, you're all in character being professional. Yeah, super serious yeah holding it all together and remember the actor that played reb jude 
is literally just shaking. He's <laughs> laughing so hard, but you're maintaining character. It was very funny. That's hilarious. I, okay, so <laughs> let's go back. Uh, Tommy, a lot of people, obviously, you have been involved with us since the year of 2012. Well, that that was 12 when we when shot GD, the first one. Run on. Yeah, when was that? 2009? Eight? Ten? Maybe right after that marriage retreat. Yeah. Uh, all right, but, but before that, I think you had a life. Um, Actually, no. I was in suspended animation waiting for Dave White to call because wherever he is, the sun shines brighter. Thank you, Roger, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I was... Uh, oh, boy, yes. I have been a stand-up comedian for about... Yeah, where are you from, though? Are you from Florida? Where are you from? Like, I don't even know. I grew up in New York. New, um, like New York City? Like in the... Uh, no, Long Island. Long Island. Okay. That's where I started comedy. It's where I met Eddie Murphy. Uh-huh. And then I moved to Florida. And uh, I... Uh, how old? Like, how old? Like, give me some years on these. Like, are you are you 18 when you go to New York to start comedy? Or are you 15? Like, when did you do your first stand-up? When did you get on yeah, stage for the first time? Was, um, I think I was in college. So I was about... Um, I think I was, I was about 18 the first time I ever did stand-up. And then I started, maybe 19, and then I started doing it for real right when college ended, about 22, 23. And then soon after that is when I met Eddie. I was actually looking for a photograph. Hold on, I want to know something, though. What was your degree in? Like, what was Tommy Blitz's degree in? What is a stand-up comedian slash now, you know, an amazing performer, actor, writer now? What, what degree did you get? Was it like... Oddly, it was home economics, <laughs> um, anthropology. I really was one of those people, no. I was one of those people that had a lot of. I was overeducated. I had a degree in psychology, a degree in sociology, and a minor in business. Wow! Wow! Then I started telling jokes for a living. So you know that, that should tell you something. Well, the problem, it sounds to me like your brain was going too much. Like you had too much going on in your brain. That's why you had to have three degrees because, you know, and then, but I don't even understand how you could show up and not make jokes. How did you pass any of these tests and graduate without like, you know, getting thrown out? Well, I did. I mean, I was the class clown my whole life. Right. I I used to so much trouble they would write letters home to my parents you know most of them they never saw but still the teacher would take the time and uh and write these things what did, oh why did you intercept them at the mailbox oh, of course <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about you know um but sure i my whole life i was the class clown i got in trouble <clears throat> and um uh, i wasn't considered interesting or even cool Till after college, when I started doing it, stand up for a living, then, then it was like, oh, he's not just a weird person; he's actually funny. We like him. But all the way through high school and college, people just they weren't quite sure what to make of me, and my teachers were fed up. Oh, it was it was really it was bad. It was it was really bad. I used to I used to get on top of the cafeteria table, you know, and do it do a tight five. You know? <laughs> 
Okay, wait. <laughs> so who who taught you then how to do stand up? Like did you could no, just go to clubs or did you did you watch other comedians? Other comedians. I didn't start going to clubs till you know, like I said, till 22, 23. And the only reason I met Eddie Murphy was not because of stand up because a friend of mine who you know was written for us, uh, Phil Morton, he got a job working at Saturday Night Live while I was still in college. And I used to take the Long Island Railroad to 30 Rock, and I would watch Read Through, which was every Wednesday. And that's how I met I met Eddie. But I wasn't a stand-up when I met him. That happened afterwards. And that was like at the beginning of Eddie Murphy's <clears throat> like first year on the SNL or second year? Or he was when getting he was- ready to leave, actually. It was his last year of SNL. So he oh. had done 48 hours and trading places. Okay. So he was getting ready to be wow. a big star. Yeah. I met back up with him uh, after he had done Beverly Hills Cup. Um, all right. So you start in on the stand-up thing in New York? or you Briefly. And then I moved to Florida. Why Florida? Like what, what brought you... Was like the stand-up going off the charts? Morals charge. I was trying to outrun in Cleveland. Listen, do we really have to go there? I, I was mean, innocent. Okay, the whole thing has been expunged. Anyway, <laughs> I'm in Florida. No, I met actually. Like, who goes to Florida when you're a stand-up comedian? Is what I'm trying to say. Unless you're 90 and you're doing dinner theater. <laughs> it was the most backwards career move <laughs> I've ever made because I had to start in Florida. I'm sorry, New York. And then work my way back. And it took years. It took years for me to work my way back to New York, even though that's where I started. But yeah, I did it. And I did it for, gosh, 25, well, 30 years. In Florida? No, I traveled all over the Okay, but so you moved to Florida. Sorry, where do you go? Boca Raton? You're 24 years old? (laughs) (laughs) I was living in uh, Clearwater, Florida. And I became a house house MC. I thought you were going to say a house mom or a housewife. Yeah, I became a houseboy. I was a servant. <laughs> um, again, more stuff. I mean, to a very kids. large man. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't Boca, so. No, it was Clearwater, Tampa, St. Petersburg area. And that's where I started comedy. I became a house MC for a few months. And that. Oh my! You know who I was working for? The AC Nielsen Company, the people who do the Nielsen. Oh, company. okay. Yeah. Now you're was, back in Roger's time here. He knows all about the AC Nielsen, don't you? Of course. <laughs> I made history with those things. See, see. In Dunedin, Florida, which at the time is where they were headquartered. Okay. Okay. And, uh, I uh, yeah, I was working for AC Nielsen. They politely, politely asked me to leave. Um, I'm still trying to beat that charge. And uh, and then I started just going on the road. Do I was a, what they call a MC, you know? And I just went on the road and lost so much money, you know, because uh, they didn't pay very much. And I just worked my way up. And uh, that's kind of when I ran back in after about a year. I ran back into Eddie Murphy. And then he took me off the road for a year, and I was writing for him. And then uh, I went back uh, doing stand-up. I started headlining, doing television appearances. I moved to Los Angeles for a little while. How old are you then when you moved to L.A. at that point? Are you like 30? 30? 
30. Yeah, I had a what they call development deals. That's when um, a, a, net, a network or a studio wants to do business with you, but they don't really know what they want to do yet. So they'll just say, "Here, here's a little bu- little bit of money. Stay put. Don't move. We'll think about this." And uh, and that's what I did, you know. And I just kind of sat there for a couple of years, and then I got this show called The News. Good evening, I'm Tommy Blaze. Get used to it. In the news. Which, ironically, it was a sketch comedy show, uh, ironically brought me back to Florida because we were shooting it in Orlando at Universal Studios. And that was on Fox, right? The news? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you're, and were you a host or were you doing sketches for that? It was all sketch comedy, yeah. Yeah. They can You can find some of it still on um, YouTube and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and then I did that for a while. We did about 60, 70, 80 episodes. I can't remember. And um, and then that brings mm-hmm. us to, like, I guess the mid-90s, I think. Yeah. And I went back out on the road, and I could tell that I really didn't need to be on the road anymore. Uh, I had done everything I wanted to do, gone everywhere I wanted to. So now I was just going through the motions. And in the meantime, I got married, had a family, mm-hmm. and, uh, was, uh, and then I guess. Where did you, where did you meet your wife, your ex-wife? Sorry. She was a, a waitress at a comedy club. In Florida? Colorado Springs. Oh, got it. Okay. Because you guys there. moved to Florida then, right? Didn't you? Weren't you in Florida? I was already there. Got I was it. working in Colorado Springs. I was doing, of all things, commercials for Chevrolet. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. No, uh, well, there it is. Yeah, and I went into the car guy, the local comedy club while I was in town because that's what you do when you're a big shot. And uh, she was, uh, she was, she was working there. And uh, that's how we met. And then I guess it was about 2000, I'm going to say 2009. No, actually, it was it was 2008 <clears throat> when I did Run On With You. I had never met you. And a mutual friend said, hey, I want you to meet this guy. Now, hold on a second. You can't, you can't skip that. So you were like, ah, like 30 years of doing this comedy thing, and then I, uh, then I met you. Um, no. <laughs> I didn't really start until I met you, David. Yeah, well, I know. The sun is always... The sun shines. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. <laughs> okay, wait a second. Hold on a second. Um <laughs> You're you're on your show, right? So you finally get your you get a show. Uh, what's it called again? The news. The news. Uh, we, Dylan, we have to look up the news on uh, to get a clip. Oh, good. Hey, oh, there it is. Okay, we're gonna show you this. <laughs> we'll, we'll insert this. All right. So uh, that's that's awesome. I like your suits, by the way. Okay, so I'll tell you what happened right before that. I was an actor. Well, not I was never really an actor. I was more of a comedian who wanted to be an actor, you know. And this pilot, this this first episode for a brand new series came my way. <coughs> and it was called Friends Like Us. Mm, sounds and absolutely I, horrible. Great. I thought it was going to be the best show ever. 
So I <laughs> went through all the series of auditions. And the show was then renamed from Friends Like Us to just Friends. Mm. And there was this role Never heard of, of Joey. Maybe you've heard of it, yeah. And it was between me and one other actor. Can't remember his name now. Uh, for the role of Joey. Look up movie. who was Joey. Did the guy actually get the part? Was his name like Matt LeBlanc or something like that? LeBlanc, yeah. They gave him the role because I was told that he looked more ethnic than I did, more Italian than I did. He's not even Italian. Well, he was young. He was a little bit younger than you too, wasn't he? Sorry. Same age. Oh, he was. Okay. Back when I was a kid. So yeah, we uh, anyway. So I did that, and then a year later, how how many auditions did you? You can't. We can't skip this thing. So like, what did you? Okay, so you get the call. You're looking at friends like us. You read the pilot. You liked the pilot. That was going to be a big hit. Yeah, you did. Okay, wow, interesting. And then you're like, and you go in and you read. Did you read? How many times did you read? About four. So you started out with a lot of people, and then they narrowed down. So your audience probably doesn't know, but when you get to the final stages of auditions, you have to prepare your contract. You have to do it before you get the job because they don't want you getting the job and then saying, $100 million an episode, you know? So they make you uh, do a contract. So I did. So I knew exactly what was on the line, what was at stake, what I was prepared to lose. I already knew before I went in there. And it was me and Matt. And Do you remember said, how much your contract was for? Like, um, like what was the fourth season of it? Because it was four years. What's that? It's yeah. Burned into my <laughs> About memory. how much money you didn't get? Yes, of course. And, no, but I'm I'm curious. Like, how much was it? The four? Obviously, we all know at the end. Dollars an episode is what I would have made. On the, was, I, I think that was at the first season, but by the fourth, I'm curious because, like, by the, I think their tenth or eleventh season, they were making a million dollars an episode. You get ten percent bumps with each year, but all that's renegotiated. Which is what the, they were doing. They were all sticking together and then renegotiating. So, so I didn't get, uh, you probably would have been like four hundred thousand an episode times twenty two. Roger, do you know how much that is? Times four. four, yeah. What is that? Eighty. Like it's only like about nine million dollars a year on the fourth year that you would have been missing out on. Anyway, story <laughs> gets worse. Head <laughs> of casting at Warner Brothers, Ellie Kent, whatever, comes out and says, "Listen, they're going to go a different way from the role of Joey. Would you consider the role of Shannon?" Oh, oh. I, I kid you not. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I said, money's about the same. <laughs> I said, you'll just have two Joey's on hand. And, and they said, fair enough. And I went away. And then the show became this big hit. So they felt sorry for me a year later. So they asked me to come back and do the season finale of the first season. Oh, that's right. You're, and you're in that. Did. And we're going to show you a clip right now because it's amazing. I'm just saying, if I see one more picture of Ed Bagley Jr. in that stupid electric car, I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not against environmental issues per se. It's just that guy. I can't believe you'd rather go out with him than me. Excuse me, please. I'm trying to have a date here. 
Fine, just stop thinking about me. I don't get it. What do you see in this guy anyway? Well, he tends to be a very nice guy. I mean, come on, buddy. Get a real car. And um, then after that, I did my own show called The News. Hold on a second. I want to sidebar this because... <clears throat> Kevin Downs and I had a friend named Mike Gerard, uh, and we were hanging out. This is like this is the year. This is early '90s, by the way. We were hanging out. We were kids. We just both come to LA, and we were in a. Uh, this guy Mike had a uh, pool. You know, had a pool house, and we were go and we would play rook there like all summer long, and then he got a script, ironically called Friends Like Us. <laughs> And he showed us this, and, it, and specifically, we remember having this conversation while we were holding our Rook cards in our hands, and and talking about this pilot that he was offered the role of Chandler for, ironically. And he was like, uh, oh, this script is terrible. Oh. <laughs> it's about... It's about these six friends that sit around in a coffee shop just chatting. Yeah. And he hated the movement of it. He had come off of an Elvis uh, thing. Like, um, uh, you know, he was he was, he was was the young Elvis, really good-looking guy. He was hot. He was also on 90210 at the time, doing recurring stuff as a teacher. And, and he did all these different shows. And then they offered him that. So that's how I remember that time period of of hearing how terrible the, the pilot was, and and he goes, "You guys want to read this?" And we're like, "Well, Mike, if you think it's terrible, why would we waste our time reading it? Throw it out." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, unbeknownst to me, Tommy Blaze was across town being yeah. offered the same show. Well, the irony is, and then Kevin. This is funny because Kevin, uh, someday when he comes in here, he can tell, tell the story more specifically, but was an extra on that show the first season because he was doing this thing with these extras things where they were moving around a lot and they would just jump from show to show to show with his buddies. And he got offered the role of Gunther. And he was like, wait a second, that means I'm going to have to sit in the background. Gunther had no lines, right? I'm going to have to sit in the background and be on set, and everybody's going to be watching me on set. Because sometimes back in the day, you could kind of like, you'd show up, you'd stamp in, and then you could like go off and do anything else during the day as an actor and come back, you know, go to other auditions and come back and squeeze in just at the, at the final bell, you know, to where you get your full paycheck. And so, and so he had Ed, his friends were offered, they were all offered this role and they were like, oh, we don't want to do the bartender at all. Like that would be terrible because then we'd have to be on screen the whole time, you know, as the non-verbal extra. Right, right, right. Anyway, <laughs> there's our friends wraparound. All right, moving on to the news. So I did the news. The news was a, a nightly Half hour sketch comedy show. It was basically Saturday Night Live, but every day. Now you must feel pretty good, right? Turning down friends at the time. You turned that down. No, I did not. <laughs> well, I mean, but you got to go to do your own TV show. Now you're the star of it. Yes, it was me and. And you're using all of your juices as opposed to just getting a script that somebody wrote you and said, here, play Chandler. Yeah. Uh, 
It was it was a lot of fun. It was ironically, like I said, shot at Universal. Studios. Chandler hit on my girl, uh, a girl that I was dating at one point in time. That was weird. Anyway, what? that's a whole other story. So I had made that big move to Los Angeles, only to move back to to Florida because, like I said, the news was shot at Universal Studios in Orlando. Okay. So I got this bachelor house. Um, never even saw it bought it online back before people did such a thing wow and um moved in and that's where i lived while we were in production and when the show ended i decided i needed a break so everybody went back to california but i stayed in florida in this little bachelor house i would have never known but that was the house that i would get married in and have two children and this is in in orlando yeah wow how long did you live there Uh, that's why i know that town uh, still fairly well. I was there for 14 years, 15 years, yeah, until I left and came here. And it was the year that I left, which is the year I met you. So that was a lot of transition for me. <clears throat> how many years was the news on for? A year, two years? I think it was, I don't know how many weeks, but I know that we did 60 something episodes. That's a lot. That's like three seasons or four seasons. Well, no, because remember, it was it was nightly. So we did five episodes. Okay. Gosh, that's a lot. That's a lot of... uh, uh, All right. So you're writing all that stuff. You're... Because you were were a producer, I would imagine, right? Being the star of it. Not on the news. I just wrote and and was a cast member. And, And just like Saturday Night Live, if you could write, then you got more sketches, you know? Um, For instance... I used to do a, a sketch, a reoccurring sketch called, I think it was called Tommy Blaze in the News. And this is before Bill Maher, before Dennis Miller, before any of that. And I sat in this big chair and I talked about the events of that week, on, you know, happened in the real news. And behind me was a screen and all this. And I sat there and, uh, and I did it way before, now everyone does it, you know, but uh, I was the first one to do that and then i did another one called ask abby and andy which is what i think drew you because it was all people would write in you know dear abby and andy my husband my wife my boyfriend gives me this kind of problem what do you have to say about it and the girl abby would give the female answer and i would give the male answer and we did that every week and that was probably one of the more successful sketches uh, it's where I really started to understand how men and women view everything very differently. Is that yeah. when your stand-up started to go more and more toward the relationships and men and women and all of that stuff? I mean, and for those of you guys don't know out there um, that are listening to this, Tommy is like the master of relationship uh, therapy and jokes about the difference between men and women. <laughs> Have you do how many I mean uh, you've been you were headlining shows that was your that was your whole routine, right? Pretty much from about 2000 on they said America's premier relationship comedian and that's all I did for for years. I, it was it, it's really all I did. I would be the go-to comedian for Valentine's Day, for instance. All the comedy clubs would want to have me because that's what I did. And then, um, I guess it was about 05 or 06, maybe 04, is I decided to clean up my show. I went completely, you know, 
curse free and I started to uh, not talk about certain things that I felt were inappropriate. I wanted it to be for all ages. And I that took me a while to build that because secular mainstream audiences not only expect that, but they want it. So I had to convince them and show them that I could still be entertaining and interesting without doing that. And I'm glad I did now because my children were able to come see my shows and all that. And that's when I met you in about 08. And I was already firmly entrenched in that worldview and ready to rock and roll what was um all right so you're like uh just to skip ahead of time because we don't have that much time which is uh always we're always running out of time on these things um uh you've written so many movies for us right you came we came in and we met on a, a run-on thing um uh okay so talk let's talk about that our first meeting do you actually remember that yes uh, where where were we? You you wanted you had a vision. Yeah. You wanted to do a one man show with three men. But I was talking to you before that, right? You know, how we met. Okay. And uh, and I think you, I told Brad about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And you and I said, well, if it's a one man show with three men, what if? each man represented a phase in this one person's life and uh, sort of beginning, middle, and end, or beginning, middle, and after. And uh, we then we thought of the idea of the prodigal, the prodigal journey, the prodigal son. And you became, your part was, I am the beginning of the prodigal. I have questions, I have complaints. My part was when the prodigal son left, Mm-hmm. And then Brad came in and talked about the return of the prodigal, and we it we made it all one show. It was a pretty cool show, actually. It's called Run it On. Extremely cool. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you know, we shot it at that beautiful theater, the Lee Greenwood Theater. Uh, that's right, the Lee Greenwood Theater in the mountains of, T- of Tennessee. And to this Roger day, Lee Greenwood Theater. That's how Tommy and I met. Superville, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. They helped open it. Uh, yeah. Oh, look at that. All right. To this day, I get more emails and more because because that show There's too many things to talk about. We need like need like four hours here. That's the thing. I would love to talk to Roger. Roger we're putting a pin into talking about the Lee Greenwood Theater that you opened. Helped open. All right, go ahead, Tommy. Sorry. Back to you. Well, I was gonna say run on made no apologies. Run on was very much the message was very much out there we didn't have to hide that message in a larger narrative it was three guys coming out doing stand-up so it was boom 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 and when they watched it they realized that they didn't have to decipher anything the message was right there so that's why i believe that to this day i get more mail and what do you call it uh social media comments about run on than anything Talking about how it changed lives or changed their husbands' lives, it was a it was an amazing project that I've never seen anyone do since then. I've seen certainly comedians that have a Christian worldview, but I've never seen anything like this. What, what we did, yeah, it was very cool. I mean, okay, so you start writing then. You you start um, you had I remember we, you had said you wanted to get off the road and you wanted to stop. Um, traveling so much and I of course was like oh I actually want to go on the road and travel and do <laughs> you know more stand up in my life or or you know uh, uh, that kind of stuff um, uh, 
we have sure. to we have to talk we, we we're going to skip all these movies because we have to come back to you. tommy we're going to come back to you on this all the stuff but what we have to i feel like we have to talk about here is okay. the fifth installment of the god's not dead franchise okay well, uh, we might come back to tell you the story when i was in little rock arkansas at a comedy club i was talking to you on the telephone and i was saying you don't want to be out here this and that Two years later, we were back at that comedy club because we were shooting God's Not Dead 2, and I got to bring you to the club, and I said, see that balcony? That's where you and I were talking when I first met Remember that? I and do remember did- that, actually. We went across the street and saw a movie. Yeah. Anyway, God's Not Dead 5. Yeah. We didn't even go in. We were like, yeah, we're just going to go, go see in. a movie. Um, all right, so uh, the cool thing is you've been involved in every God's Not Dead. Like, oh, actually, I think, no, I mean, like, yeah, you were acting in the first one, uh, verse two, and then you started writing on the third, fourth, and you just penned the fifth installment. Um, thinking about the next one. Yeah, thinking about the next one, um, if the audience really wants more, you know. So the question is this. Okay, so what can you tell the people um, that are listening to this? What will the fifth installment bring to it? And um, and as a writer, is it hard knowing that we've already done four of these things to come up with any more storylines, or or has it expired, or or how hard is that for you? And how did how did you come up with the fifth story? Right. So first of all, no, it's not hard at all because because the world keeps turning, news keeps happening, our world continues to be involved with itself. And as long as that happens, I'm going to get ideas. For instance, in uh, God's Not Dead 4, uh, We the People. We the People. But it was about about homeschooling, but it was really more than homeschooling. It was about how certain factions of the government and certainly the press work very hard to keep its people, that is to say us, divided. And the character, your character, uh, Reverend Hill, realizes this and then lectures the politicians that they the politicians work for the people you see those statues and those monuments out there they say you work for us and that was your point so god's not dead the fifth one uh we uh uh what are we calling it not right in god we trust right now in god we trust in, in between the day we wrapped We the People and the day we started to conceive of what it is now called In God We Trust, a lot happened in our country. A lot happened. So the movie really wrote itself. And I don't know how much I'm able to talk about, but in this movie, we get to... We get to decide to what level Christians should be involved in the political process, or should Christians even be involved at all in the public square? Does our voice count? Does our voice matter? Should our voices be heard at all? Or should we just stay back? Some Christians, for instance, believe that politics is a, is a dirty business. And I say, so is taking out the garbage. But if you don't take it out, it piles up and it gets real bad. So, God's Not Dead 5 is about asking Christians to step in, be involved, 
and I believe in many ways to save this country and get it back on track. Because if we won't do it, I don't know who will. It's a tricky thing, you know. It is. It's a funny when you when you explain it like that. The human side of us says, "Well, of course you should get involved. Why wouldn't you? You know, stand up and fight and and uh, take back what is yours." But then you have. I was in church on this last weekend, and uh, and it was all about love and kindness. That was the that was the sermon, and um, and it, it in the process. I think as believers, so often uh, one of the tricky things is how do we walk in you know, Jesus was about love. Jesus was about, you know, um, how do we walk in his love? How do we love like him? How do we forgive? Um, because if we don't, obviously it, it, it eats us up, you know, um, from the inside and, and destroys us, our relationships and beyond. And so that's always a tricky thing. Roger, I, I'm curious about your thought on this. What is, as a, as a wise man, um, I don't know if you heard any of this that we're talking about, but what is your take on that? Because I know Tommy's take; it's in the <clears> script. <throat> uh, well, I mean, look, I think I think uh, we do have to be kind. We have to be Christ-like really? if we're really? Christians. However, however, you know, oh, that's right. It was we, in the third one. We do need to stand up, yeah, and we need to rise up. And we need to take back what is ours if the government becomes evil against us. That, that's, that's, that's promised to us that we need to do that. It's given to us that we should do that. That's my take. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Do you... Do you, <laughs> do you and, uh, and tr- yes, and I hear you, David. And sure enough, I've listened. I've talked to a lot of believers about this in preparing God's Not That Fine. And they will often say, listen, the Bible does not tell us that we are here to save the country or save the world. And it's true, scripture doesn't necessarily say that. However, it does tell us to love one another. And in doing that, we save the world. So that's how Christians become involved in the public square. Roger just showed me his three minutes left, Tommy, so you gotta keep strong it out. You need to talk longer. <laughs> I know this is very difficult for you, but like please keep talking. Is there any way that we could have had some applause after I when you put that in your post? Well, we could at least put some applause in the movie uh at the time uh what we do the the thing. Okay, so um uh, I would agree with that, and and it is a, it's a, it's an interesting it's not um, it's not a comfortable topic to talk about. Um, again, I love the line in this. In it, it's funny because as as Tommy writes these scripts, I I'm the one who has to learn them all. So, <laughs> so um, I'm always like you know, and Tommy's like, I'm gonna rewrite that. I'm gonna redo it all. I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, I just learned that. Now that I've heard you say it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm going to redo that. Um, but you have a great line in here about, um, uh, shoot, now I just lost my train of thought. Come on now. About, um, you know, how hard that is. And I think I'm, I'm forgetting what um, talk show that I'm on when I'm talking about it. But I'm talking about you. there's the human side of us, right? We're, we're stuck in a in our human body and in, with an immortal soul. Right. We were talking about separation of church and uh, state. Yeah. And you comment. I think I forgot. You're on a talk show, and I can't remember which talk. Uh, yeah. Show. 
But you basically say that that is, is something that's necessary and very good, but you say sometimes it gets fuzzy. Because while we are mortals, we have a spiritual side. That is immortal. That is immortal, exactly. Yeah. We are not um, humans with a spiritual origin. We are spiritual beings living a human life for a very short time. And then when that's over, we, we go. So, And that's why you were saying that it's going to be at odds, although necessary, it's sometimes blurry and fuzzy. And that's why, and I think, you know, um, they're telling us to wrap up here, Tommy, but I think that that's why it is, uh, uh, why it's not, you know, when talking about your faith, when living your faith, it's not an easy thing that you you get up every morning and boom, it's just a sim simple, you know, very simple. Obviously, the Bible is very, uh, is great about, uh, you know, uh, you are the light to my path. Um, and uh, for clarity for us of which way to go, but it does, st it's still tricky and we we're still human and we still have all of the emotions and fears and um, that, uh, that humans have with God or without God. But and that's why they make great stories. Yeah. And, in, and um, yeah, it's, it's great. Anyway, Tommy Blaze. I uh, I really appreciate you. There's there's so many more things that I would love to talk to you about. I mean, I always I get the pleasure of talking to Tommy on the phone, you know, quite frequently because when we're working on scripts and and uh, uh, we talk often. <laughs> I think your 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 daughters and my kids don't necessarily love the fact when when I'm talking to Tommy Blaze because. Uh... Did you tell the audience what I gave you for Christmas one year? <laughs> no, go ahead. I sent you ornaments that yep. you can put photographs in, and you the idea there was about half a dozen ornaments, and you were supposed to. <laughs> no, but Make they all had Tommy's face on them, <laughs> and so they hang on my tree every year because it's kind of a it's a fun joke, and they're all like, "Why do we have to keep putting Tommy Blaze's face all over our our tree?" <laughs> anyway, Tommy, I love you, brother, and uh, thank you again for all the movies that you've written and and contributed to and every thing that you are doing and uh god bless you brother and i'll talk to you soon guys thanks again for being part of the white house pod and uh we'll be back next time with another amazing guest and uh and i hope today was uh you were blessed by the way tune in we're on spotify iHeartRadio, itunes youtube please like subscribe us on youtube and uh and watch these podcast episodes and uh, i think you will be blessed and i hope that you guys have an amazing day god bless you guys